0: Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. It's 887 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Director of Public Relations. 4290 is available only at the station website. Including
1: church, there's no other. Thrilled to be here. Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself and <laughs> asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. So last week when I signed off, I said I was hoping. That we'd be talking about a new Bears head coach, new general manager, and we'd be talking about maybe coaching staffs or whatever. I did not think we'd be talking about the start of a coaching staff that's honestly really impressive to me. It was a big week for the Chicago Bears this week. I'm going to dive into that. And we had a lot of big breaking news yesterday, and it happened right in the middle of my shift. So I'm going to tell you about how that went. Also, big week for Loyola. The Bulls roller coaster is continuing and UIC of the Valley is official, so we have a lot to get to in the next 58 minutes. Here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM, I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It is awesome to be back with you, and we have a lot of bears to get to. You know, last week I came out here and I was talking about how an offensive-minded coach would be such a bad thing. I still wanted Byron Leftwich as my top choice. I'm not going to back down from that. And it's not so I could use the guy on TikTok that just says, who, Byron? Like, that's not the only reason I want that. I wanted Byron Leftwich as the coach because he could really help Justin Fields. But instead, the Bears went a different direction, and they hired Matt Eberflus, whose name is really fun to say, from the Indianapolis Colts. He was a defensive coordinator there. It's an interesting take. This guy has never been a head coach before, and it seems like he's qualified. There are a lot of good things that you're hearing about him. That again, you heard a lot of good things about Matt Nagy too. The interesting thing about Iberflus's hiring is the process behind it. We made a lot about Bill Polian and his input with the GM search. Was worried he was maybe going to go after Jim Caldwell. As it turns out, he hired he hired Ryan Poles. As general manager, so yes, I'm gonna keep making the joke that George McCaskey can still go out in the press conference and say Ryan and Matt are football guys. That's not gonna stop, but the interesting thing here is the whole time you heard the final say on the on the g m and head coach can be mine. That's what you heard from George McCaskey. It's gonna be his decision as it turns out, this is from multiple different people. Multiple different reports saying Matt Eberflus was Ryan Poles' hire. So that's an interesting ripple to this whole thing because that's not how the Bears are traditionally operated. Think back. When Ryan Pace was hired as general manager, which I'm going to flip Ryan Poles and Ryan Pace a lot over the next few weeks while I get used to this. When Ryan Pace was hired, Ernie Accorsi was running the search, and he basically set up John Fox when Fox was let go from the Broncos to pair an experienced head coach with a young GM, but they did not let Ryan Pace pick the head coach. That is an important context here because a lot of people, when they talk about Ryan Pace, they talk about how he hired Fox. He did not hire Fox. That was an arranged marriage. This time around, It sounds like Ryan Poles and only Ryan Poles was doing the interviewing for the head coaches. And the the finalists were Jim Caldwell, Dan Quinn, and Matt Eberflus. Now, when they hired Eberflus, I was surprised. Because I was basically preparing myself to hear about Dan Quinn. And the thing about Dan Quinn, the thing I like about Dan Quinn, he's done it before. He had some issues the last time. That's why he got ran out of Atlanta. Think back a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. That was him. But what he's done this year under Mike McCarthy in Dallas, which we can talk more about Dallas's situation later on if you want, because I have thoughts. What he did under Mike McCarthy this year with Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs, and that defense, to me, it showed, okay, He's shown he can handle the coordinator role, kind of get away from head coaching. Now it seems like he's ready. As it turns out, and I don't know if, it doesn't sound like he turned down the Bears, but there was wording that he pulled out of head coaching searches, went to Dallas, got an extension, and what I'm gathering is essentially the head coach in waiting when they inevitably fire McCarthy. I'm not saying that's going to be this offseason, but it just seems the writing's on the wall after that playoff game. So, I was really, really surprised when I saw Matt Eberflus. And the thing is, I kept thinking to myself, okay, let me look at his background. You got to start at Toledo. He's a Mac guy. Played at Toledo, started as a student assistant and grad assistant. He stayed on with Toledo, so he graduated in, I'm guessing, 91, 92, because he started as a student assistant in 92. Then he went from graduate assistant all the way up to defensive backs coach by 2000. So he spent a lot of time at Toledo, and the coach that he coached under there—I want to make sure I get this right. My mag history is not
0: is not great. Uh, is it Gary Pinkle? Yeah, Gary Pinkle
1: was who was the coach at Toledo at that time, and that's and that's important here. So Eberflus was at Toledo going from student assistant all the way up to defensive backs coach which if you're not familiar with college football that's a pretty big jump. And then Gary Pinkle, and i I keep saying his first name because I don't want people to think I'm making an Ace Ventura reference here where I say Ray Finkel, Gary Pinkle. He got hired at Missouri as defense as head coach, I'm sorry. And he brought Matt Eberflus with him as defensive coordinator. So he was the defensive coordinator for Mizzou from 2001 until 2008. And this is before Missouri was in the SEC, which don't get me started on that one right now. He also was promoted to associate head coach in 2006, by the way. In that time, Mizzou's past defense ranked third in the country in 2004. They ranked second in the Big 12 in total defense. He helped helped Mizzou to a Big 12 North title 2007-2008. He was twice recognized as Defensive Coordinator of the Week. That's National Defensive Coordinator of the Week. Yes, that is a thing. Rivals voted him as the 8th best defensive coach in the nation. My point here is this guy knows how to build a defense. And he coached in the MAC. He knows offense too. And the thing with a defensive-minded coach, if, he can, if he's that successful with defenses, he can tell Justin Fields, hey, you've got to look for this and this, and so you can beat this on defense. But then Eberflus moved to the NFL in 2009 with the Browns.
0: Then he headed to Dallas from 2011 to 2015. And then from there,
1: he headed to Indianapolis as defensive coordinator. 2018-2021, and now he is taking over as the head coach of your Chicago Bears. Now, I'm looking at this background here. I'm on the Wikipedia page, I won't lie. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, looking through his career history. First-time head coach, defensive-minded guy. So, I decided to look at another Wikipedia page. This former Bears head coach started as a high school defensive coordinator he jumped into college coaching at Tulsa, and he was kind of a journeyman. Worked at Wisconsin, Arizona State, Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio State. Then he, got, he came on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before going to the St. Louis Rams, RIP, before being hired as Chicago Bears head coach in 2004. Yeah, I'm talking about Lovie Smith. I know people have their thoughts on Levy Smith as a coach. Trust me, I have plenty. I watched him coach at Illinois. The college is the college game is much, much, much different than the NFL in terms of head coaching, by the way. But looking at the backgrounds here, a lot of college.
0: Jumped to the NFL for a minute and then became a head coach. A lot of similarities here.
1: Meanwhile, the interesting thing about Ryan Poles, and I keep using that word interesting because it's really the, it's where I'm at with these hires. Ryan Poles played. He was an offensive lineman at Boston College. He blocked for Tom Waddle. I'm sorry, he blocked blocked for Matt Ryan. It's Tom Waddle's alma mater. I'm sorry, he blocked for Matt Ryan. Wrong. He's not that old. He blocked for Matt Ryan. And he was on with Tom Waddle and Mark Silverman, Sylvie, and Tom Waddle went to BC. So, no, I, yeah, he blocked for Matt Ryan. And he was a grad assistant at BC in 2008, kind of got the sense of recruiting and scouting a little bit. He moved on to the Kansas City Chiefs in 2009 as a scouting assistant and then went all the way up to executive
0: director of player personnel before being hired as Bears general manager. Did you know the Bears actually signed him? out of BC, he was an undrafted free agent
1: by the Bears and did not make the big squad, which is why he realized, okay, I've got to go into the other side and go to scouting and go to front office. Now he's the general manager of the Bears. So when it comes to football decisions and things of that nature, Ryan Poles has played the game which is more than I can say for a lot of general managers around the league, including the guy who just walked out of the office. I like that. And I went through. I went through and looked at Bears GM's post-George Halas. Only one, by my count, and if I'm missing someone, someone call me out, but I only counted one
0: that played, and it was Jim Fink's. And Jim Finks, he was the general manager of the Bears from 1974 to 1982. That tells you how long it's been since the Bears have had a general manager that has played the game.
1: I think that is the separator here. Because I... I didn't have a GM candidate in mind. I, had, I said last week maybe Quezia Adolfa Mensah or Morocco Brown. To me, honestly, I, when it comes to executives, not to sound like George McCaskey here, but I'm not a football evaluator like that. I don't – that's out of my league. A head coach, I can tell you, okay, you've got an offensive – you've got a quarterback who I think should be and could be your franchise quarterback – You don't want to screw this up. But then from an executive standpoint, someone's just got to make sure the trains are on the tracks and make the football decisions and build this roster. And the fact that Ryan Poles was an offensive lineman, what have I been preaching and moaning about the last two years on this show? The Bears' offensive line. Now you have a guy who has been on that offensive line
0: and can scout offensive talent. The more I think about it, the more I like him. But he hired a defensive-minded coach. Which that's great. I mean, I don't have a problem with a defensive-minded
1: coach. Sean McDermott's a defensive-minded coach. His offensive coordinator is Brian well it was Brian Dable. And they played in the game of the century last Sunday. Holy cow, did you watch Bills Chiefs? I still work at the bar on Sundays. I kept my Sunday shift even though I started full-time at on three. And that way I can work during the football games. And last week, I had a full bar. And we were watching that game and the place was just going bananas. The last two minutes were insane.
0: The Buffalo Bills have a defensive-minded coach in Sean McDermott. But you've seen what Josh Allen has turned into. So Matt Eberflus is a defensive-minded coach. Who do you get to run
1: the offense? It was the biggest question I had when they announced Eberflus as head coach, and I have so much fun saying his name.
0: One name that was thrown around was Pep Hamilton. That's a name Bears fans might remember. He used to be an assistant with the
1: Bears. He worked in Houston this year, And I had never heard of Davis Mills until this year. He helped Davis Mills turn into a respectable, good quarterback. Maybe he was an option. But what's one thing that Bears fans love? I wouldn't say more than a Super Bowl because,
0: well, it's been a while. Let me put it to you this way. How many Bears fans were celebrating a couple weeks ago when the Packers lost? Actually, it would have been last week. I know I was. Bears fans were probably happier than anyone else that the Packers lost that game to the 49ers. The Packers lost their offensive coordinator.
1: Nathaniel Hackett's heading to Denver be the Broncos head coach, and take over for Vic Fangio. So the natural replacement is or was the passing game coordinator and quarterback's coach. In Green Bay, they have an offensive-minded coach in Matt LaFleur,
0: who I still don't think is a very good coach. Matt LaFleur calls the plays. So if
1: you're Luke Getzey, And you're the quarterback's coach and a passing game coordinator in Green Bay. You're interviewing, or at least in consideration, to move up to offensive coordinator. The head coach up there is going to call the plays. Meanwhile, you've got a coach in Chicago who's interested in bringing you on board to run the entire offense. Have full autonomy over the offense. I don't blame him one bit for leaving Green Bay for Chicago. Luke Getze is going to be the offensive coordinator of the Bears. That's coming from multiple reports. He'd been rumored all week. He is another Mac guy, and I really like his
0: background. Luke Getze is 37 years old. He played at Akron, so we got
1: another Mac guy here. Bounced around the college ranks a little bit. Jumped down with Green Bay in 2014 this is where it gets interesting.
0: He was with Green Bay from 2014 to 17, and then he went to Mississippi State, where he
1: was the offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach in 2018. The end of that NFL season, Mike McCarthy fired from Green Bay. He's gone. Matt LaFleur comes in. If you remember, Rodgers and LaFleur... Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur did not get along very well to start. That relationship was a bumpy road. But Rodgers got along with Luke Getze. So Luke Getze went back to the Packers as quarterback's coach and then moved out to passing game coordinator as well
0: for the last two years. And I was reading something just before I came on the air. Did you know In the 2018 recruiting class, Justin Fields initially committed to Penn State. He did. He
1: had committed to Penn State, he decommitted, and ended up going to Georgia,
0: then ended up at Ohio State. During Justin Fields' recruiting, The offensive
1: coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Penn State was a guy named Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead, after the 2017 season, ended up going to Mississippi State, which is where he hired Luke Getze as his offensive coordinator because they were together briefly
0: at Pitt. And there's also that Akron connection in there as well. So after
1: Joe Moorhead left Penn State, Justin Fields decommitted, went to Georgia, got passed over for Jake Fromm. We all know how that went. Transferred, for, transferred from Georgia to Ohio State. The rest is history. Why am I telling you this? Where does Joe Moorhead fit into this whole thing? Because he hired Luke Getz as his offensive coordinator? Actually, yes. Because the offense that... Getze ran at Mississippi State was a Moorhead offense, which is a lot of RPOs. There's deep balls. Ironically, you want to know the funny thing about me telling you about Joe Moorhead? Guess where he's coaching next year?
0: Akron, which is where Getze finished his college career. Talk about full circle, am I right? So that's a little background on the new Bears offensive
1: coordinator and why I like him. In 2018 at Mississippi State, the Bulldogs had this quarterback named Nick Fitzgerald. Now, I've never heard of Nick Fitzgerald. I did not watch as much college football back then as I do now.
0: But I looked at some stats. Nick Fitzgerald had 1,767 passing yards that year
1: for 16 touchdowns. He also had 1121 rushing yards and 13 touchdowns. So Luke Getzey was running the offense, offensive coordinator in college for a dual threat quarterback. Justin Fields is a dual threat quarterback. That is a what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping the offense is going to look like. Now, the Bears are rolling the dice here. You've got a first-time GM with a first-time head coach, with a first-time play caller, at least NFL play caller. But what they might not have is a first-time defensive coordinator. This came out just this morning. It's from Tom Palacero at NFL Network. Bears are targeting Colt safeties coach Alan Williams as their defensive coordinator, per sources. Interview process still ongoing, but Williams, the one-time Vikings defensive coordinator, is a logical fit to follow Matt Eberflus from
0: Indianapolis. So, could they have their defensive coordinator in mind, too?
1: I am cautiously optimistic. That's the best way to approach this, because I, at the time, liked the Matt Nagy hire, too. And after that
0: first year, I did like the Matt Nagy hire. We know where I stand now. I'm
1: anxious, is the best way to put it, because I'm excited for what's next. It's a new era. They're turning the page, whatever analogy you want to, want to use.
0: But on the other side of the coin, my dad always says, and I think I heard this in Spider-Man
1: No Way Home. This is not a spoiler. Expect mediocrity. You won't be disappointed. Something along those lines. Expect disappointment. You won't be disappointed type of deal. I prepared for the worst. I'm hoping for the best. This is from Daryl Horwitz, former host of the show, from Charlotte. Poles picked from the finalists, not really his selection. He should have expanded it. Well, I'm going to stop right there and address that. It makes me wonder, and I know other people have speculated about this too on the radio because I listen to a lot of sports radio during the week when I'm working on the news desk at On3. Could Ryan Poles have had a relationship with Matt Aberflu somewhere before? Maybe he could have just been impressed in the interview. I don't know if you can go as far as saying this is not really his selection when he was the only one in those interviews. But I can also see people arguing, well, maybe he went to George and Ted. I used to be George. Because Ted's apparently, supposedly, according to George, Ted is not involved in football decisions. At least not anymore, but we'll... We'll, we'll put the tinfoil hat on another time. But I could see maybe George saying, well, let's go with these guys that Bill brought us. We paid Bill a few hundred grand. Let's go from this list. I could see that. So I, I don't know for sure if you can really say, oh, it's not really his selection. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of that. Uh, Daryl goes on as for Eberfluis, lots of negatives from indie fans about him. And read an article this year from an indie writer that they didn't have a good defense. Didn't they lead the league in turnovers this year? Also, as an employee, would you like your boss looking over your shoulder at everything you did? They should have hired an offensive coach. I see the argument about hiring an offensive coach. I do. But if you hire the guy who worked with Aaron Rodgers the last few years, and you let him call the plays now, I don't think that's such a bad
0: thing. And Luke Getze interviewed for head coaching jobs. So yeah, I, and I, see, I saw something about the negatives. I had to find this. Because there
1: was a Twitter thread from someone in Indy, or someone around the NFL, that kind of went into why Indy fans are so negative about Matt Eberflus. I, I've got to find it. But it was really, really insightful. So I'm going to search for that while I talk here. But we also have a DM here from Jonah Blatt who says, can we briefly acknowledge the wheels are potentially falling off in Green Bay this offseason? Which is why I say again, if you're a Bears fan, you're seeing the Packers offensive coordinator leave, quarterbacks coach leave, there's rumors about Rodgers leaving.
0: As Bears fans, you're sitting here going, Okay, this is fine. I'm good with this. Okay, I found the the Twitter thread in question.
1: This is from Stephen Holder, who covers the Colts, for The Athletic. I'm going to read it probably word for word. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit in here because it is about five tweets long. Bear with me. He says here that Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus is a finalist for two head coach positions, continues to generate interest in this hiring cycle. This is before, obviously, he was officially hired. He talks about the attitude among Colts fans is lukewarm at best. So he did some digging. Since 2018, which is when Matt Eberflus headed to Indy, the Colts are in the top 10 in takeaways, points allowed, yards allowed per game, and yards per carry. And they only had one player reach double-digit sacks in those four years, and it was just in Houston in 2019. Holder goes on. Most of the teams that rank ahead of the Colts in the major categories during this time period have big-time pass rushers, in some cases multiple rushers. The Bears have two, Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. Now I also hear a lot about coverages. Did you know the Colts played a significantly higher percent of snaps this season in man coverage? They did. And Holder says, I do think there's room to continue evolving in terms of coverages, but the idea that, quote, they only play soft zone is totally false. Also, they're very good at playing zone, so why would we expect them to not play it a lot? Where I think there needs to be dramatic improvement is on key third downs. Too many failures there, especially this season. Get off the field. But again, that goes to pass rush. Those two things are inextricably linked. So that goes back to his usage now in Chicago of Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn especially. And you also got Roquan Smith back there who can rush too. And he, uh, Holder goes on, anyway, the point here wasn't to campaign for Floos, which I can get used to that nickname, Floos. I just think there's been a complete lack of context about this, and too many are ignoring a lot of data. People do the same thing with Reich as an offensive play caller. The data over four years is pretty indisputable. In the end, the Colts are watching the playoffs at home like the rest of us, so they have work to do. They have a lot of Stuff. He, he didn't say stuff. To figure out. Still, let's not oversimplify things that have layers. All I can tell you is the league doesn't view Eberflus the way many of you do.
0: That's from a Colts writer. That's pretty insightful. And once my computer quits... Actually, it's operator error once
1: I quit hitting the wrong button on here. Uh, Daryl said they were second in turnovers this year. Okay. Not good in passing defense. He says Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. He didn't make him good. Hopefully he makes Fields good. It doesn't matter. My point isn't that Luke Getzey made Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers. My point is he worked with Aaron Rodgers. And it goes back to why I wanted Byron Leftwich as head coach. Because if you work with the greats, you learn a lot from the greats. You can pass that knowledge along to the young guy. Now, I know Aaron Rodgers' game is drastically different from Justin Fields. When Aaron Rodgers runs, it's a big deal. But as far as decision-making and everything mentally, there are a lot of lessons that he can pass along to Justin. Uh, Darrell also said the Colts face 28th-ranked offenses, so one article I read said it wasn't impressive. I haven't looked at their schedule. We're at the bottom of the hour, so i have to remind you you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW, 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, Chicago, Chicago Sound Alliance. I'm coming to you live from my home in Dwight, Illinois, where I've been doing the show now for, let's see, a year and a half? Going on two years? This is fun. It's been about two years since I've taken a phone call on these airwaves. So in the meantime, you can chime in on my Twitter DMs, Nick Schultz underscore seven, or you can just reply to my tweet promoting the show. And Jonah chimes in about the Packers wheels potentially falling off the bus. Uh, he says, "As a Lion fan, I'm right there with you. The North could be wide open next season. I agree. Someone, I don't know who, I don't know who on Twitter. I got, I've got to quit listening to morons on Twitter." Myself myself included. But I've got to quit listening to these people because
0: somebody said, and it made me mad, if Aaron Rodgers leaves, the best quarterback in the NFC North will be Kirk Cousins. That is not true. That is not true.
1: <laughs> because, I mean, this is where I'm at with Kirk Cousins. Nick Foles is still under contract with the Bears. I'm not a Jared Goff fan by any means, but I, uh, if I had to choose between him and Kirk Cousins,
0: I'm running out the nearest door. Do I think Justin Fields is better than both of them? I think he can be. But
1: as far as the NFC North quarterbacks, it's... Ew but to say Kirk Cousins is the best in the division if Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay, uh, I I don't like that. Just not a Kirk Cousins fan. Again, I've I've got to quit listening to morons
0: on Twitter, or at least giving them time on the air like I'm doing right now. But back to the Bears here. With these hires, there's a press
1: conference tomorrow. I believe it's at 11 a.m., so about 24 hours from now. We'll hear from Ryan Pold. We will hear from Matt Eberflus. I don't know if they will confirm the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator hiring. But we're going to get an idea tomorrow of what Matt Eberflus is looking for Could he run a 4-3 defense? Which is what he ran in Indy, which I don't see him changing from that. What does Ryan Poles expect to do with the offensive line and adding upgrades in the Allen Robinson situation?
0: There's a lot of answers that we still need yet. But right now, I encourage you all to be cautiously
1: optimistic. I'm not going to root for these guys to fail. I did have to appreciate the caller on the score right after the news broke about Matt Eberflus's hiring who, call, who called in to Dan Bernstein's show because Leo Rahimi was off, so it was Bernstein. And he called in, yeah, you know, Dan, you know, we got to call this guy Matt Eberflus. Call him Matt Eberflus because all he's going to do is lose. That's exactly how he sounded and
0: exactly what he said. So it is uh, a lot of fun in Chicago, when it comes to
1: Bears coaching hires and the optimism, or pessimism, I guess. But I'm not disappointed in these hires. Let me be perfectly clear. Jim Caldwell, if they'd have hired Jim Caldwell, we would be having a very different story. Having a very different conversation. Because I wanted nothing to do with Jim Caldwell. I don't care that he's been a head coach before. I don't care that he was the supposedly the best coach in Detroit in the last few years, even though he still lost the playoffs. I'm not a Jim Caldwell fan. I did not want that. If they hired him, I would, co- I would come out here and I would be just screaming in the microphone. I'd probably set the microphone on fire. But according to Jeff Hughes at the Bears blog, I'm like, you know what? Let me find the tweet. Because Jeff Hughes does a really good job covering the Bears. He's a blogger, but he's got really well-placed sources, and he's been he's been right a lot of the time so far. He said this three days ago. There were two distinct coach camps in the lead-up to Ryan Poles' hiring. Bill Polian and George McCaskey wanted Jim Caldwell. Ted Phillips and everyone else wanted Dan Quinn. Poles went his own way, and he hired Matt Eberflus. So that shows how close Jim Caldwell, I guess, could have been to becoming the Bears head coach. But I say again,
0: I'm glad that didn't happen. We're going to learn a lot tomorrow during the press conference. And we'll see, but I'll tell you what. Bring in,
1: Luke Getzey, I like it. I like it a lot i got 25 minutes here. i still got other stuff I want to talk about, so maybe we can pivot back to the Bears if there's time, but I do want to move on to everything else I've got on the docket here. We're going to start with Loyola basketball, because it is a crazy week for the Ramblers. Now remember, last week when I came on these airwaves, they were fresh off their first home loss since my senior year of college, because I covered the last time they lost at home. Isaiah Mosley dropped 40. We were lost by 10 points. This week, they had to play Southern Illinois at home on Tuesday, in Carbondale on Thursday. They've got Drake today.
0: It's a lot of games in a short span, but that's where we're at with COVID and everything. That first
1: game, that was cool. Watching that first game, Loyola-Southern Illinois, was the first time Drew Valentine and Brian Mullins have faced off. Two Porter-Moser assistants squaring off with each other. And let's not forget that uh, Javon Mayman is on the Southern Illinois bench too. And London DeCubo is on the Loyola bench. So you've got a bunch of Porter-Moser connections here. Loyola won that game 59-47. That game was closer than it sounds. And then the game on Thursday. Oh, my Goodness, the game on Thursday. Brick, brick, brick. Nobody wanted to make a shot. Chris Knight had a big game, and he's, he he had a good day to have a big game because Loyola scored 44 points, and he had 16 of them. Rambos won 44-39 i saw people on twitter mid major madness i think they were <laughs> they posted a screenshot of the end of the game and they and they applauded everyone who sat through that entire game let the record show my mom my dad and i sat through that whole game after i worked on the desk
0: so i finished my shift and it was busy and <laughs> sat through that game. Whew. It was a big win for Loyola because that got them back on the
1: winning track. 7 and 1 in Valley play, 16 and 3 overall. They naturally when you lose by 10 points at home to Missouri State, you're going to drop out of the AP poll. But they've got a chance to make a statement today. ESPN 2 at 1 o'clock. Drake in Des Moines. That is not going to be easy.
0: Not going to be an easy game for Loyola today. It's going to be huge. This could have
1: Arch Madness implications, which is right around the corner. Because we are coming up on February in a couple of days. Which Can you believe that? We're coming up on February. I'm planning to get my credential hopefully soon, which your boy might be going to Arch Madness this year.
0: Stay tuned, hoping to make the trip down there. Got to keep an eye on a couple things. But I
1: agree with Jonah here. He said those games against Southern Illinois were defensive masterclasses on both sides. Yeah, you've got the two top defenses in the league. I said both games, I pity the poor soul, whoever took the over. I looked that second game which ended 44 to 39 the over under this is not a joke i confirmed this before the game and i confirmed it during the game
0: the over under was 125 and a half at halftime at halftime of this game the score was 21 to 19
1: Those were some tired legs you saw because they just played each other Tuesday night in a grinded-out game. Turned around Thursday on the clear other end of the state. I'm not exaggerating when I say the clear other end of the state in
0: Carbondale and played again. So Loyola had a couple days to
1: recoup. Now they're going to Des Moines today. 1 o'clock tip-off against Drake. I am... This is going to be a really intriguing matchup as it has been the last few years
0: because it is a road game in the Valley which is never easy. And
1: the schedule after this, Illinois State at home on Wednesday. Illinois State is on the struggle bus, man. Missouri State on the road on Sunday. Bradley in Peoria on Wednesday. Northern Iowa at home next Sunday. There's not an easy game here unless you consider Evansville at home an easy game, which I still argue there are no easy games in the Valley. And then Northern Iowa on the road as the season, fina- regular season finale. Now, I believe if I'm reading this right, am I reading this right? Believe there's a game against Indiana State that got postponed. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that was earlier. Never mind, they played. That threw me off. I've got to get used to this new Valley schedule. They played one game back in December that everybody keeps forgetting about. So, no, I think they're all caught up on
0: COVID postponements. Ignore me. This new schedule is weird. So the road to Arch Madness is not easy. And it starts today against Drake.
1: We're going to find out what Loyola is made of. they got to quit with these slow starts. They've got to quit with these scoring droughts. I really, really thought Porter Moser was going to take these little scoreless periods down with him to Oklahoma, which his Sooners put up a good fight against Auburn yesterday before Auburn became Auburn again and just put the foot to the floor and cruised to a win. It was a one-point game at one point. If you look at the final score, I forget what the final was off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me. That was a one-point game at one point. Down at Auburn, one point game, three point game. Either way, it was one possession game, and then Auburn won by double digits.
0: So eight games into this Valley schedule, a lot more to go. But I think Loyola's in a good spot. I mean, I think they've got. Let's look. Let's look at the MVC standings here. Because the standings are, they're going to be a good indicator of how tough the schedule is coming up.
1: Ramblers are in first place at seven and one. Drake is a game back at six and two. Missouri State and Northern Iowa. Where did Northern Iowa come from after that non-conference schedule? I wonder who told you they'd still be good this year. Oh wait, that was me. They're tied for third at seven and three. And there's a little bit of a drop off. I wouldn't even say a little bit of a drop off cuz Bradley can still beat anyone on any given night too. They're 5 and 4. Then you've got Southern Illinois, Valpo Illinois State all 3 and 6, Indiana State 2 and 5, Evansville 1 and 8. Oof. Evansville by the way got blown out by like 30 points by Illinois State one day and then turned around and beat the Redbirds a few days later. I just is that where I bring out the Barry Henson Barry quote? It's the Valley. I don't know how I don't have that in my sound bay here. But I just can't believe we're getting close to crunch time. And Loyola's last go around in the Valley before UIC becomes Chicago's Valley team. Yes, UIC to the Valley is official. We broke this down last week. I did a Twitter Spaces about it on Tuesday
0: It was announced on Wednesday, I should say. I think I said Friday. It was on Wednesday. My week is all thrown off. Yeah,
1: Wednesday, the Valley announced UIC. You know, I, I think this is a really good addition here. And I think the Valley is in a really good spot. I posted the picture of the Valley footprint now. And I, looking at it, I think it's a natural fit. I know there was talk of it was what, Texas, Arlington? Looking at this Missouri Valley Conference map, this is perfect. And I've had people ask me a couple of times, what would you do for divisions? Would you do north, south, or east, west? Well, looking at this map, I would say
0: I would say your cutoff line is gonna be Terre Haute, Indiana. Then you got Indiana State, Evansville,
1: Belmont, Marie State, Southern Illinois, Missouri State. In the South Division. And on the North Division, UIC, Valpo, Bradley, Illinois State, Northern Iowa, Drake. You keep those rivalries intact. UIC and Valpo, former Horizon League teams. Bradley, Illinois State. Do I need to say anything more? Drake, Northern Iowa. Do I need to say anything more on that? And I think Arch Madness is going to be crazier with this. With the setup in the league, I think you're going to have a full day of games on Thursday. I'm not sure what the plans are. I'm speculating. I was hoping we'd hear about that from Jeff Jackson on Wednesday, but they didn't take questions at the podium. They took them separately, and I was here because I'd worked that day. I didn't go up there. So I don't know what Jeff Jackson said about how things are going to look, if they're going to go divisions. I have no idea. I might try and work something out to maybe have him on the show. But the Valley's got a lot to figure out here with this new schedule, but it is official. Twelve teams, I'm I'm guessing, and this is what I've heard from people around the league too. I'm guessing they're gonna stay
0: at twelve teams at least for a little bit. All right, I've got ten minutes left. I do want to talk about something here. Did Georgia just do this? This is interesting. Cause I'm a college football nut anymore. Georgia just hired a guy
1: to be an assistant that was going to follow Mario Cristobal to Miami. Oregon's interim head coach this year was going to follow Mario Cristobal to Miami, but now he's not going to Miami and he's going to Georgia. That just broke from my guys over at On3, Dogs HQ.
0: Sorry, shameless plug, but that just came over and that just surprised me. Okay, sorry. Thank you for indulging me there. Um, Wow. So speaking of on three, let me tell you about my
1: day yesterday. So I work my usual Saturday shifts. There's college basketball games I've got to watch. I watch a couple games at a time. Usually we've got some news that comes out during games and whatever. We watch for big plays. We write about it. You've seen that on my Twitter feed. In the middle of all of these games yesterday... Now, I was watching Michigan-Michigan State, which was a really close game until Michigan State remembered how to control the basketball. And they won by 15, something like that. And that game on, and I, had a, I think I had Oklahoma-Auburn on at one point, and then I had to go to the Ole Miss game.
0: In the middle of all of these games, a couple things happened. First, out of nowhere from Adam Schefter Tom Brady is apparently retiring
1: that came out yesterday that was that ma- that made us busy so that came out from Schefter but then it started coming out about is he retiring is this true There's an interesting statement from Tom Brady's Asian that said, quote, I understand the advanced speculation about Tom's future without getting into the accuracy or inaccuracy of what's being reported. Tom will be the only person to express his plans with complete accuracy. He knows the realities of the football business and planning calendar as well as anybody, so that should be soon. So that makes you wonder, is this true? And then
0: Tom Brady's dad entered the chat and I'm trying to find his quote via a TV station in Tampa Tom Brady Sr. said his son is not retiring yeah this is from Kylan Mills of KRON which KRON is in the Bay Area.
1: That's not in Tampa. So Tom Brady Sr. tells KRON that his son is not retiring. Brady Sr. says an online publication started circulating an unsubstantiated rumor. However, a number of NFL insiders are now reporting it. So is he retiring? Is he not retiring? It sounds like he is at some point because Ian Rappaport said that as well. So I guess I'll just take this time to... You know, I I joke around with people because I'm a big Notre Dame fan. I joke around that I think Joe Montana is the greatest of all time, and for a while there I did. But then Brady did what he did last year with the Bucks, and I turned and I'm like, okay, I'll admit it, he's the
0: goat. I think I've said it on the show a couple times too. But if this is it for Tom Brady, wow. You know what? I mean, what can what more can you say? So that's huge. That came
1: out yesterday. And that's going to have ripple effects around the league. And then if Tampa's in the market for a quarterback, where do they go? Does a certain quarterback from Green Bay go to Tampa Bay? I don't know. I don't know what's going to be next. He's still got to announce it yet, too, because Bruce Arians and the box even said he, he's informed us of nothing yet. So that was a crazy scenario. And then back to the college beat here. After that, Jackson Dart, a transfer quarterback from USC, announced his commitment to Ole Miss. Actually, I shouldn't say announced. It was reported that he's committed to Ole Miss. And then Lane Kiffin added fuel to the fire by tweeting about it and then deleting the tweets. And now I saw him during the show here retweet a couple things.
0: So yesterday was just absolutely insane. And now we're still waiting on Caleb Williams' commitment as well. And all the while, I'm doing all this, and I keep thinking, the Bulls lost to San Antonio last night?
1: Just couldn't get that off my mind. Yeah, the Bulls, not a, not a good defensive performance, and Zach Levine even admitted that after the game. Bulls are going through a rough patch, man. 30 and 18 right now. Lost to San Antonio 131 to 122. Bulls have lost now three of their last five. They've got Portland today this afternoon. It's a two thirty tip off, by the way. That's weird. So you've got Loyola at one, the Bulls at two thirty. See, that works out great for you for basketball fans in Chicago. DeMar DeRozan, though, all-star starter, as he should be. You know, there wasn't really much doubt he was leading the fan vote, and he was a consensus starter among the league, the players, and the media, which, as he should be. I'm old enough to remember when people said he was the worst signing of the offseason, too. So he's a starter. It sounds like like Zach Levine's going to be a reserve, because Trey
0: Young is a starter, even though... Was it the players voted for Levine? So there was
1: one group that voted for Levine over Young, but Trey Young is in, and I'm, I'm sure I'll get a DM here from Daryl here before the show is done about Trey Young being better than Zach Levine. Um, you know Charles Barkley immediately after the results of the starters were announced, he's like, I don't know why Zach Levine is not starting this game. And normally I don't talk about what Chuck says on those shows because. He's Chuck, but, you know, that stuck out to me that we went from happy that Zach Levine was in the All-Star game getting recognition to he got passed over. And that shows how the Bulls have really evolved over the last year or so. And what's interesting to me, I talked about this on my podcast this week, Trade deadline plans have been pretty heavily impacted. We kept talking about how the Bulls need another big, need a rim protector. Well, their two best defenders are now out six to eight weeks with injuries. Lonzo Ball had his knee surgery the other day. That six to eight weeks timeline starts then. So that was what Friday. So six to eight weeks starts now. Alex Caruso was out six to eight weeks with that wrist injury after that dirty foul by Grayson Allen. I know people talk about, oh, there was not intentional there. I'm, It was Grayson Allen. That's all I'm going to say. So that's a thing. Derek Jones Jr. fractured his finger working out as he worked his way back from a bone bruise. He's out six to eight weeks, so you've lost that length. You've lost your two best defenders. You're still without Patrick Williams. What do you do with the trade deadline? Do you maybe make that big swing? Do you... I'm still not sure about trading Patrick Williams. I mean, do you trade him for Jeremy Grant? I wouldn't. But maybe the Bulls can do the long game here. You know, the big signing they have to get done this offseason is Zach. They just got to re-sign Zach. And Derek Jones Jr. is leaving for free agency, but that's a, you can replace him. I think Troy Brown Jr. is a restricted free agent as well. My point is, The Bulls, I'm not advocating for a tank when I say this. Let me be perfectly clear. I still think they should compete to play in the playoffs. They should still, you know, I keep saying they should be a top four team in the East. Well, not without their two best
0: defenders. But now without those guys, they're still a playoff team. And I don't know. Do you still try... Do you still try for the
1: championship run? Do you make that swing at the trade deadline? Or do you wait till next year? You get a healthy Patrick Williams back. You can maybe bring in a rim protector. You need a backup
0: big man. I'm not a Tony Bradley fan at all. I've said that before. The trade deadline's coming up in like a week and a half. So,
1: maybe two weeks. February 10th? The Bulls have to figure this out soon. And I don't know what direction they're going to go. But then again, who saw the Vucevic trade coming last year? I didn't. I about fell over when I got the text. I was subbing because I was a substitute teacher last school year.
0: I was subbing when I got the text, and I about fell over. So who knows what direction they're going to go. But they got to figure it out soon, and I –
1: yeah, there's Daryl saying, obviously, thanks for the setup about Trey Young being better than Zach – and, wow, Daryl, did we agree on something? I think we agree on something. Daryl says you don't trade Williams, certainly not for Grant. Wow, we agree. I can't tell you the last time we agreed on something. That was always the joke when we were in studio. We disagreed on almost everything. We agree, Daryl. Wow. Mark this down. What is this? Eleven fifty-eight on January 30th. Wow. Yeah, no, you keep Patrick Williams. Because if he does turn into this Kawhi Leonard type, there's a lot of comparisons to Kawhi Leonard with his game, with his defense, hopefully his offense comes around as well. With all of that, there's a lot of comparisons there. You don't want to risk losing that.
0: So no, you do not trade Patrick Williams, in my opinion. Um, Unless you can get some
1: groundbreaking player, which I don't think there's a player good enough on the market to trade Patrick Williams, keep him. I'm a big fan. I have been since they drafted
0: him because I can't say I've been a fan of his since he was at Florida State because I had never heard of him at Florida State. But the trade deadline is going to be something to watch going forward. I know we talked a lot of Bears today as well. The
1: Bears staff is still coming together under Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles. Big press conference tomorrow. I'm going to see how that goes what the vision is for this team, see if they confirm some of these hires. I still am a big fan of this Luke Getsey hire, man. Because according to Adam Hogan, NBC Sports Chicago, he was more involved than he gets credit for in the passing game. I am, I'm excited about that hire. Now, there's rumors about maybe trying to get Pat Hamilton to come on board as well. That would be a home run going to be interesting. I'm out of time. Thank you everybody for listening today. We're going to have more Bears news and whatnot next week. We're going to keep you updated on the Valley race and the Bull situation. So much more going on as well. No baseball to talk about because they're still locked out. So we're going to still have some fun out of here. See you next week. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, wear your mask, get the vaccines when you can. Talk to you back here next Sunday on the Sunday Sports Shootout on ww 88.7 FM. Have an awesome week, everybody.